You're listening to the Urban Warfare Project Podcast from the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm John Spencer, Chair of Urban Warfare Studies at MWI and host of this podcast. Today's guest on the podcast is General Yom Tov Tamir. He is a retired Israeli Defense Force Armor Officer who served a storied career in the IDF from tank commander to division commander. We met while our MWI research team was in Israel this past summer, and during one of our amazing stops was the IDF Armor Museum in Latrun, which is I highly recommend if any listeners are ever visiting Israel. But, sir, welcome to the show. Hello, John. Thank you for inviting me. It's a great honor, sir. If you don't mind, I thought we'd start with just a little bit about your background and career in the IDF Armor Corps. When did you start? What position should you hold? And I know that's a that's a big question, but just in summary. All right. First of all, I, as a matter of fact, I started my service. You know that in Israel we have a compulsory service. I started before serving because I was in the military school, in high school, in Haifa. So I, we in that time, we graduated that school as a squad leader of infantry. And we could choose which branch to go. And I chose uh, armor. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I thought uh, maybe it's more interesting than infantry. And we started because we had a background of infantry. So we started from the beginning of learning how to be an armor crew member. And then directly to, uh, we have in Israel a tank commander course. And I was a tank commander for uh, only a few months, and later went to officer school, graduating the officer school as a second lieutenant, and uh, I became a platoon leader, tank platoon leader in the 52nd Battalion in the 7th Brigade, uh, which was the only armor, regular armor brigade. Then um, I took part a little bit in the, you know, we had some clashes in the north, uh, between Israel and Syria about the water of the Jordan River. And uh, as a platoon leader, I took part of that. And then I had, they invited me to go with a, a kind of a team to Germany to learn on new tank, the pattern, the M48 tanks. But in that time, <laughs> the United States, which were behind all this agreement, didn't allow us to come and to learn it in the United States, but to learn about the American tanks in the German army, this was the agreement. By the way, the, the guy who made all this very complicated agreement was Shimon Peres, who was in that time general manager of the Minister of Defense. Later, you know him as a president or prime minister later on. So coming back from Germany, which was kind of an experience to be in, in 1964 in Germany with Germany uniform, and I'm sure that we will speak about that. So, and we established a new battalion, number 79, in the Seventh Brigade, with Patton tank, with the M48 tanks, and I started there as uh, as the head of the training on the gunnery. Later, I was the S3 of the of this battalion and then the company commander. In 67 war, I was a company commander, but I was attached 
to a mechanized infantry battalion, the 9th battalion. As a matter of fact, I was in this battalion, the battalion commander in 73. But in that time, it was a tank battalion. And going back to 67, mechanized infantry, and I was the commander of the tank company, which was attached to the mechanized infantry battalion. Uh, started in south of the Gaza Strip till El Arish. In El Arish, the brigade commander called me, sent me to the division commander. The division commander sent me to be in a special forces who went along the northern part of, of Sinai, along the road from El Arish to Kantara. This force was called Granite Force, on the name of the Colonel Granite, who was the commander. The force was based on my company, parachutes uh, company, with some uh, anti-tank guns. With that, I made all the way almost to Kantara. Before Kantara, we had uh, a battle with the Egyptian tanks or Egyptian unit who didn't participate in the beginning of the war. They were uh, defending the Suez Canal, so they were fresh and we finished this battalion by defeating them. And then another commander came, Raful, later was the chief of staff, the commander of the paratrooper brigade, the 35 brigade. They took me, I joined them. So I began with the 79 brigade, they sent me to the 9 brigade battalion, then this granite force, and now I am with the paratrooper brigade. All of them in four days, a company commander. In the entrance to the town of Kantara, Raful, the brigade commander, was hit in his head. And after 30 minutes, something like that, I was hit by a missile. It's called Schmel missile. This is the father of the Sager of the 73 war. What year was that, sir, when you were hit by the Schmel? Was well, year 67, 67 war. I'm speaking about 67. Okay. Okay. I was wounded quite bad. Was evacuated by helicopter to Beersheba. Few months in the hospital. I lost from my company four soldiers in this war. And after recovering, they sent me to be a chief instructor in officer school, in the armor officer course as the head of the Patton company because we had few different tanks so each type of tank had in the officer course a different company Centurion or Patton and I was in the Patton. Then the, the war of attrition started so I was sent to be the G3 of a brigade the 14th brigade my brigade in 73 Later, I went to command and staff college. Coming back, only one or two months, I was a deputy battalion commander and then battalion commander. I was appointed to a battalion commander in February 73, 1973. So about eight or nine months before 73 war. Just a real quick question, because I know that we're going to go straight into 1973 and your position can you tell me just a little bit more about what I find fascinating? In 1964, you're a Jewish armor officer in Germany learning about tanks 
from the Germans. It had to be politically sensitive. It was very, very sensitive. You know, first of all, I had a telephone call from the uh, G2 of the brigade. They want to go to abroad. What do you mean abroad? I was in training in the, in the Negev, in the South. You know, suddenly somebody is calling me, maybe France, maybe. Okay. I was born in Israel, never was abroad before. Why not? So the deputy commander of the battalion, he was also the deputy of this delegation. He took me on Sunday and we went to Tel Aviv to meet all the group. And the head of the group, later General Jackie Evan, he told us that we are not going to France, we are going to Germany. Now, 1964 is only 19 years after the Second World War. It was very, very shocking to hear that we are going to Germany. In my family, my parents immigrated to Israel before, from Czechoslovakia in 1937. Because they were Zionists and they moved to Palestine. But my uncle on both sides, my mother and my father, they went to the Holocaust. And so many of the members of this delegation, and I'm not speaking only from, you know, personal point of view. The idea that we are going to the German army, it's not, it's not like today. You have to think about 1964. And that time, even we didn't have formal relationship with Germany. Only it was an agreement about compensation of the Holocaust survival and so on. But no embassy, not here and not there. And to wear German uniform, to see the officers, I'm speaking frankly, you know, to see a high-ranking officer. Always you think when you met him, where... He was in that time that we are speaking, 1939-1945. It was top secret, also from this reason, and also because the agreement was kind of, I don't know, very complicated. And all the three sides, United States, Israel, and Germany, didn't want that somebody will know that a group of Israeli officers are there. So... We wear German uniform, so they just put us a tag name on the <laughs> on the shirt. Oberleutnant Tamir Bezucher. Bezucher is a visitor. All the lessons were in Germany. We had uh, three majors that were born in Germany, and they translate sentence by sentence <laughs> every lesson. One of the peak of that visit was that somehow we found that there is a ceremony in Bergen-Belsen. I don't know if you know, John, but the training area of Muster, the German Army School, is on the, on the side of the training is Bergen-Belsen, of the training area. So we heard that there is kind of ceremony there. So we decided that we are going to this ceremony, a civilian ceremony. We went by with civilian clothes, of course. And also we were escorting the German nominate an officer to be kind of an aide to our chief of the delegation. And he came with us also without uniform, of course. But this was 
very interesting to see Israeli delegation going to Bergen-Belsen to a ceremony escorting by a German officer. Of course, today we are speaking many, many years later, but in 1964, it was something that, you know, you never forget it. I know that General Eisenhower put an emphasis that, that, that you have to take pictures and to see what happened there, that the future generation will believe that something like that happened. Because, you know, in Bergen-Belsen, it's not a concentration camp, but there are only graves, a mass grave, 50,000. 40,000, 10,000. You know, we thought after that, that if it was in the beginning of our staying there, it was very difficult to continue. Even though different people, different attitudes, so on. But, you know, it's something that you should not forget. Yes, sir. I hope the whole world doesn't forget. The whole world, yeah. Yeah, this is the lessons for the world, yeah. Yes, sir. So if, if we could go back to, um, I know you were a battalion commander of the storied 9th Armor Battalion. Yeah, it began my post at February 1973. And I know, sir, this is, for any listener who doesn't know, and, and many won't, this is 1973, Yom Kippur War. Yom Kippur War, what was in October 73. Yes, sir. So in February, you're in Northern Sinai. Northern Sinai. As a battalion commander. As a battalion commander. Can you tell us about how you were situated, how much front did you have to cover with a single armor battalion, all of that. Okay. You know, I was stationed with my battalion there. And that time, it was an agreement of ceasefire thing since August 1970 of the War of Attrition. So it was quiet. Nobody is shooting, nothing. You are just there. If something will happen, we'll be involved. So it's a kind of an ongoing security of having army along all the borders. But I didn't have any responsibility on this ongoing security. Just if something will happen, then I will be active. Now, the battalion is a regular army battalion, the 9th battalion, which that time would belong to the 14 brigades. I had 33 tanks, almost full, 36 is the standard, three companies, only 10 companies. In the three months before, I had also a mechanized infantry company, but thinking about cutting the budget, so they cut my mechanized infantry company. So I was only three tank company with 33 tanks. And in the morning of Yom Kippur was in 6 October, Saturday, early morning, I had a call from one of the, uh, first of all, about the area. They will understand what we are saying. Northern sector of the Suez Canal. The <coughs> length is about more than 70 kilometers, 70 kilometers, yeah. On the north, also, we have the Mediterranean Sea, and there are swamps in many areas there in this sector lot of swamps, really swamps, that you can't go, not by tank, not by, by trucks, only on roads. So because this was so complicated area, it was a special territorial brigade who were responsible to this area. So I was attached 
to this territorial brigade. My commander is this territorial brigade commander, not the 14th brigade commander. So like in 67, I am again not belonging to my family, <laughs> as we can say that. I am under another brigade commander. Now, was some strong points along the Suez Canal, about every 10 kilometers. And that's strong points of Israel infantry, basically, right, sir? Infantry or mechanized infantry. But it was started in a war of attrition as, a, you know, as observation points and they later became strong points. The strong point, Kantara, was a city, town, both sides of the Suez Canal, empty. No man thinks 1967, but a lot of houses. And it was some strong point on the Suez Canal there. And the map called, the name was Milano. So we had about seven strong points in this sector. So the officer who was commanding this strong point in Milano, in the city of Cantara, called me that he saw something very strange that at night the Egyptian put something in. Now, John, you have to understand that in that time, the width of the Suez Canal was 180 meters. So you could see quite good what's going on on the other side, on the canal. I'm not speaking behind, because ditches were both sides. And from my point of view, my observers, they couldn't see much more behind. This is in the brigade and division level from air photos on. Yes, sir. For me, that was was a challenge before I could get some visualizations of what we're talking about, about this part of the Sinai in the Suez Canal separating Egypt from the Israeli forces on one side and the Egyptian army on the other side. And you could basically see each other across the Suez Canal, across this water crossing. And you have all these strong points that have been established for years since the War of Attrition across the whole border of the Suez Canal and the Egyptians on the other side. With your armor battalion stretched out across that whole 70 kilometer, it took me a little bit to visualize that. But once I just saw one picture of it, I like, okay, I understand. I understand. Now, my battalion was not on the Suez Canal. I had only one platoon in the northern strong point that was on the Suez Canal. In that strong point, I had a platoon of three tanks there. Why? Because... In 67 war, when we captured Sinai, somehow the IDF didn't go all the way on the eastern side of Suez Canal until the end. The last 10 kilometers was in the Egyptian hands. Okay? Now you can understand that because this was a very crucial point. So they said you have to have their three tanks all the time even if it was quiet and ceasefire and so on. So I had one platoon. This is the only platoon along the, the entire Suez Canal that was on the Suez Canal. Then I had uh, one company about 20 kilometers from the canal, and the rest of the battalion, two companies, and the battalion headquarters, we were about 30 kilometers from the Suez Canal. This length of depth, it's very important when the war started to understand where we were and what happened. Now, going back to this strong point commander that called me, and I asked him, why, why are you calling me? I'm not responsible 
to the area. He said, nobody want to listen. So I said, okay, if you say so, I'm coming. I took my S3 with me and we went with the Jeep to see what he's speaking about. We are picking now Saturday, Yom Kippur, 6th of October, 11 o'clock in the morning. We are on the edge of the Suez Canal, on the, on the dike of the, you know, that was from, from the sand that was along the canal. And we are watching what's going on. Really, he was right. Something strange was there. It was covered by something. Later at night, I understood what it that. They put some heavy missiles that they wanted with one shot to explode a strong point. But they didn't succeed because I think that the 180 meter is too short. They explode behind us. But this is at night. Coming back 11 in the morning. And I had a telephone call from the brigade headquarters. Have to come immediately to the brigade commander. Okay. I left this guy and I went back to the brigade headquarters. The brigade commander just returned from a meeting with the division commander. Now, you have to understand that the division headquarters was in Bir Gafkafa, Refidim in Hebrew, which is about 150 kilometers from our area. And he returned and he, we knew about big exercise very large-scale exercise that's going on in the, with the Egyptian army because we didn't know what's going on with that exercise. So we work in a kind of a readiness or alert that if something will happen. Yes, sir. So it was a, basically you knew that there was a, a large-scale Egyptian training exercise going on on the other side of the canal. Yeah, that's right. And this is the reason that the entire regular army along Sinai and also in Syria. Syria is another story, the Golan Heights. We were in a kind of readiness if we are wrong, if something will happen. This is different story from the reserve units that were at home, a civilian and so on. But we speak about the regular army. Yes, sir. And if any listener doesn't know in the IDF, there are standing regular army forces and then you have a very large Reserve component it is a major part of how the idea fights is to recall the reserves to join the regular army. That's right. You have to mobilize them. They have to go to take their equipment and so on. It's, it's a kind of procedure. So, and he said that the new information now is that the exercise will end at 6 o'clock p.m. Okay. And they are thinking maybe that they will start uh, shooting or something like this at six o'clock. Not crossing, John, speaking about shooting. Bear in mind that we had the war of attrition in 1970, that the war of attrition is returning. This was (laughs) the idea. Nobody spoke about the entire Egyptian army are crossing. I think I've heard you talk about this in the past about you know, the war attrition did involve a lot of cross border, you know, cross canal operations. No, in the war of attrition, there were some raids on strong points, but not the crossing like that with tanks and so on. Raids, but since the ceasefire, and it's almost, I think, a failure of imagination to think that it would there would be a crossing in all the imagination of what would happen. No, you know that our brain, I think, is built like. 
telling you that the fire will renew the fires. So we have a disk in our mind that the war of attrition. That's what we remember. Nothing new. Right, these cross-border raids, basically. Yeah, that's right. So to be ready for that, it was totally different deployment if shooting is starting. So my battalion in that time, we are responsible now if something will start of half of this sector. It didn't happen, but this was the idea, the plan. And all the battalion will be on the Suez Canal. In the northern part, near all the swamps, we have platoons in the back of each strong point. And then uh, one company in the back of this Milano, the Cantora, and one company on the south, it was another strong point there. This was the plan that we have tested it many, many times before. And I'm sure that the Egyptians watched it. They saw us and they were waiting for us because it takes time to go. To reinforce the power points. To get there from the 30 or 20 kilometers. Now, because they said that it may be, I emphasize these words, maybe in six o'clock, so... I have to be in all these positions one hour before, so in five o'clock. Now, to be in five o'clock, to move from our position now on four o'clock, it takes about an hour with tanks, 30 kilometers. So I ask if we are missing something. I want to move now. This is very important, John. I want to move now. The brigade commander said that he asked that from the division commander, and the answer was that we are not sure yet. And if we will move, maybe we are starting some escalating that we don't want. Yes, sir. I can see that. And I think we see that really along any strong contested border area, whether it's North Korea, Azerbaijan, Armenia. Yeah, 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 yeah. And everything that you think that you are doing something, maybe you are starting something that you didn't aim to, to do it. Okay. So I said, no, I want to talk with the division commander, which was very unusual that the battalion commander will speak directly with the division commander. He was surprised. I talked with him. I said, maybe we are wrong. I want to go now. What, what will happen? Say, no. He, he gave me the same answer that the brigade commander gave me. So what can I do? I went back to the battalion again with the company commander. We are speaking about the plan, the program that all of us knew it by heart. And then the doctor asked me, you know, we have in, in each battalion. Yes, sir. We call them physician assistants, PAs. Yeah. And he, after all the companies, commander went to their company, you know, to speak with the soldiers and so on. He asked me, if I will go with my two APCs with the ambulance, you think that Sadat will start the war? <laughs> I said, you know something, go, go, because it was an, a special place where the doctor and his APCs had a special uh, trench there with a telephone uh, wire there. And so it was very important that he was there. And in that time, I didn't know. The time now is about one o'clock, noon. In Tel Aviv, many, many uh, reserve uh, units were mobilized. 
So I am a battalion commander on the front, really, and still the speaking may be, you know, this I cannot understand till now. How many years we are from that? 48 years. I'm thinking, why, why, why? Very, very difficult to accept it. Why didn't they tell everybody that they were mobilizing? Yes, sir. Yes. If they're mobilizing the reserve, they should also authorize all the units that were on the, on the front line to go to their position and not to wait. Now, in about 1.30, somebody on the radio gave the order to go to the positions for a special name on that, and he shouted in the radio. So you know that in tank battalion commander, I had also my tank. So I climbed on my tank and we start to move. Yes, sir. So you you basically received a a code word saying move. A code word, yeah. And five minutes later, stop, mistake. And I didn't want to ask in the radio what was going on. So I went with the chief to meet the brigade commander or the G3 or somebody in the brigade headquarters. It was five minutes from my battalion, the brigade headquarters, with the jeep. Now the time is five minutes to two. 13.55. I am with the jeep in the entrance of the brigade headquarters. Suddenly, aircraft, helicopters, artillery, you know, Saturday and also Yom Kippur, very quiet in the radio, nothing, just here and there, some code name, that's all. Suddenly, the radio is full of screaming, you can imagine. And I saw that the aircraft are shooting on the brigade headquarters and by the battalion headquarters. So I didn't ask any, any more questions. I called my S3 to come with the tank to meet me. I went with the jeep directly to the Suez Canal, and the entire battalion went to their position that was pre-planned before. And the Egyptians were waiting for us because for us it took about an hour, and they were already, you know, in the cover of the artillery. They crossed with the first wave of soldiers. So this is the way that the war started. Yes, sir. That's pretty crazy. I mean, just a massive attack on almost the entire Egyptian army, and you're still having recovered. Yeah. This sector is a divisional sector, the 18 Egyptian division, and we, we should face a battalion against a division. And since you had to close all those kilometers in the positions that, like you said, they had reserved you exercising the plan anyways, so you just came into an ambush, basically. That's right. Now, it's very complicated to describe. Each tank in my battalion had a story, and I don't think that you have enough time to hear all this story. And also, you know, without the map to show what happened, it's very difficult to understand. But basically, it was a very, very bad situation. You know, and tank after tank were hitted. Some of them from, you know, they built kind of uh, huge hills on the other side. Tank and missiles were shooting from the other side and also were crossing and they gave a lot of anti-tank weapons like RPG or Sagar missile to all these infantry units. Now, when I was there on 11 o'clock, 
I told you that it was very quiet and nothing happened on the other side. And I saw, you know, something that in every army all over the world, something, a unit that are in kind of readiness or alert, you know, soldiers are wearing the steel helmet and uh, all the gear on them and the rifle and so on. And here, nothing. They were walking. Some of us were fishing in the Suez Canal. After many years, I was defense attaché in London, and I became a very close friend with the Egyptian military attaché there. And, you know, you never can imagine what can happen. What I found that this General Magdi Kubesi was an engineer battalion commander who, you know, the bridging the Suez Canal in my sector, in Yom Kippur. And I asked him, General Kubesi, frankly, now soldier to soldier, what happened there? That I was in 11 o'clock there and I saw nothing. He said, no, no, first of all, the unit who crossed, they were not the unit that were on the line, came from behind. The first wave was with unit from the rear that were ready to do it and not the unit that were on the source canal. Yeah, makes sense, sir. No deception plan. Makes sense, yeah. And second, to keep it a secret, they announced them only half an hour before. It's very interesting. I read it also in Shazli memory. Now, uh, I realized that the crucial place was the south sector of my sector, not Kantara area. The north, I didn't know anything because, first of all, the plan was that this company will be attached to another battalion. But it doesn't happen because all the strong points came on my net and they wanted us to help them. So it was a kind of a mess and I tried to do everything for the entire sector. So after a while, nobody is answering from the northern company. And in the south, I heard all the soldiers of the strong points are uh, shouting on the radio that some of them, the Egyptian soldiers, are coming with fire. How do we call this? Uh, an instrument that you, you shoot uh, a fire on the Nike Naplan, you know, with a... A flamethrower? Yeah, yeah, something like that. That are burning. This was their head. And uh, so I changed uh, some of the position and uh, send another unit here and another unit there. And uh, they sent me uh, another uh, company, mechanized infantry company, also this company. Many, many of them were hit and killed and wounded. And I'm coming to the night. At night, suddenly it was another, they put kind of a division commander on the top of this brigade, territorial brigade. And I recognized the voice. He was the, my brigade commander when I was the G3 of the 14 in the attrition war, Kalman Magen. And he was on the way to be the division commander. Our division commander should be replaced on this week, but because this alert, they postponed the replacement. And he said, uh, I recognize the voice, and he said, what is the situation? Now I know that the entire Egyptian <laughs> intelligence is listening. So I try to be very calm and not to say the exact situation. And the situation was that I was uh, surrounded by Egyptian 
I was with two tanks uh, trying to evacuate another tank. And he said, he understood. And he said, okay, okay, there is a brigade or reinforcement who will come. This is the 460 brigade, which is the armor school. And after a while, really, the brigade commander called me, the 460 brigade commander, Gabi Amir. And he said, come and explain what's going on. What to come? How can I come? You know, I'm now, I don't know really how to come. We're basically surrounded by the Egyptian army and cut off. I didn't tell him that, but this was what I thought. Suddenly I found a way. By the way, I lost my tank before and I went, you know, every tank battalion commander has tank and also an APC. So I went to the APC because I didn't have that. We have enough time to try to take another tank with all the nets and so on. So I went with the APC and I succeeded to break out from this Egyptian soldiers that were around me, and I reached the brigade commander. And he said, okay, where is the battalion? I told him, Gabi, this is approximately the battalion. I have only two tanks and myself. Yes, sir. And how many soldiers, sir, did you lose, and how many tanks did you lose just in those opening day? 67 soldiers I lost, about 100 wounded. No, but a tank battalion is a very small unit. You have to multiply 33 by 4. See that it's... Now, I had two tanks additional to that in the strong point I mentioned Budapest before. They reached the place just on time and they hold this position the entire war. This is the only position that the Egyptian could not take and also... This is the only strong point because these two tanks, one had some problem with the shooting, only one tank, nobody from them were wounded, by the way. But they came just on time. This emphasized that if you are in the right time, in the right place and working as you were taught, maybe the situation would be quite different. Now, the brigade commander said, okay, I have now a small battalion here, you know, with two companies, but they are not familiar with the terrain and so on. I said, okay, I will lead them. And I was leading this battalion till really the Suez Canal. And I put one company on one side of the strong point, one company on the other side, and we were on the Suez Canal. And I went back again and took another battalion and led them all the way through Kantara, which was totally by Egyptian hand, we crossed through the city, shooting from right and left, and I came back to this commander that I left in 11 o'clock. I told you that I, I had a meeting with him. I'm here back midnight again there. And uh, I thought that uh, maybe we are winning. And I asked the brigade commander that I want now with me some force and to go to the north because I don't have anyone is answering from this company. Said, okay. When he decided that it's okay, about 10 or 15 minutes later, I said, no, 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 we will cancel it. They started a lot of problem with these two battalions that I had led to their place. And they also, one tank after tank, 
they began to lose their tanks because from behind them, they, they were surrounding. It's very, very difficult to, to understand by speaking on the radio. So he said, okay, let's leave us now for a while, your company from the northern side, and please lead us out of this town. They wanted to reinforce themselves and maybe to make a new attack on the day after. So I began to lead the battalion of this brigade out from this Kantara, and I fell with the APC in a very big hole that came out from the artillery. Really, that the entire APC was inside, and I couldn't go out, so we jumped from the APC, said, leave it here, and we go by foot. Now you have to understand, John, I thought in that time, I am a tank battalion commander. Not in tank, not in APC, now I'm going by foot. And I don't know if I will survive till the morning because I was surrounded by the Egyptian. 200 meters from this place, I was wounded in 1967. Yeah, it's the same town of Kentora, right? Same town, same place, 200 meters. Now, I didn't know what to think. You know, we were lying there near the APC, shooting with our rifles on the Egyptian. Suddenly, I saw, it was early morning, I saw a tank barrel aiming on me. Israeli tank from this brigade. Uh, so, okay, now we'll be shot by an, our tank. Somehow, he thought that maybe the, we are not Egyptian soldiers. And he stopped for a moment. I ran to him, climbed on his tank, Yaki, the name of the company commander. He said, okay, I thought that maybe you are there. Took all my soldiers on his companies and one on the APC of the uh, mechanized infantry company that I told you that we were reinforced on afternoon. And he said, thank God that you are here because I don't know where I am. So I led them out of the town. Now on the same dune, near about 10 kilometers from the Suez Canal, when I, this is the area that I led all the remaining of this 460 brigade. And we were sitting there, some of the officers that still were alive in that time. Later I lost also some of them. And I said, let's see, what, what do we have? What can we do? Well, sir, I think we're going to end it there just to transition this to part two, since Clearly, this is a conversation that has so much to it, and I, I have a lot of interest to continue asking you more questions, but I think that moment that you described of standing in front of your brigade commander and him asking where your battalion is, and it's basically you saying you're looking at it after the opening moments of the occupant war and the amount of damage that was caused and your unit trying to get to those strong points to relieve the mechanized infantry to get to your battle positions, it's pretty sombering. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening to the Urban Warfare Project podcast. The podcast is produced by the Modern Wars 2 at West Point 
What you hear in each episode are the views of their participants and do not represent the positions of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. You can subscribe to the Urban Warfare Project podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to check out IndieWise other podcasts, as well as the new articles we're publishing every day on our website. Thanks again for listening.